You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Grab your Bible if you've got one. If not, we've got enough on the screen for you to kind of follow along, but it'd be a great aid for you. So today we're starting a brand new message series called Truth for Life. Let's say that together. Truth for Life. So we live in a post-truth culture that means that it doesn't matter what is true. Uh, Even though it may be universally true, it doesn't matter as much. So it's very, very important, I believe, for this message series for you to grasp it, perhaps more than any other time in American history, like anchor down in some truth. Um, What I want to do this morning is just give a couple of announcements and then we'll get started. I'm going to give a long introduction to the message um, because we're starting off the Gospel of John, so it's going to be super fun and super good. And so I'll explain more of that later. But today kind of marks the beginning of our fall kickoff season. So uh, we're ramping up all of our ministries. So perfect time to get involved at North Valley. I want to encourage you to do that. Um, as well, I just want to say to the parents, I provided a couple of blogs for you to help pastor parent your kids because you are the pastor of your home. So we've been able to do that. We want to partner with you to help equip your kids to know, love, and follow Jesus. And so with school going on, you got a couple of blogs. You can check them out. They're material that I've helped coach my kids on. And uh, for Leslie and I, we wrote those together. You can check them out online. Those of you that also are giving financially to support our ministries and for the volunteers that participated in two of our camps this summer, want to say thank you. Let's show them a big round of applause and say thank you for getting our kids to camp. So thank you, too, for scholarshipping. No kid left behind. We make sure every kid gets to go to camp if they want to go. Last but not least, I just want to share, um, we're, we're growing and developing. Things are moving forward. In the next two weeks, we ought to see that multi-purpose building. We ought to start seeing some renovations, some construction, and open up that building by the end of the year. So thank you for those of you who've been giving faithfully to our campus development funds, our Serve Like Jesus initiative. I want to thank you, and let's thank everybody else that's been given to make that happen. Um, last but not least, after this service, we're going to be baptizing some folks. If you want to uh, watch and see what happens, it'd be awesome for you to come and just celebrate with us new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, third service is the best service. You get sandwiches and snow cones, so it's a good time. It's really a cool service. So sleep in Sunday and then come to church. So there you go. Invite your friends that stay up really late on Saturday night. That's a perfect time for them to come. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Truth for Life. And I think that we desperately need this in our time. I think we kind of clash and clamor for truth. Everybody you know thinks they have a corner on truth that they know what they know. And it's true. And only if you could see how they see, then, you know, then you'd get it. But we're confused, I would say. Many of us are about the sources of truth. It's really no surprise I think we, uh, uh, sociologists have called it the information age, right? Technology is like everywhere. We got more science and technology in the cell phone than NASA had to send a rocket to the moon. So it's the information age. There's so much information out there. We become inundated and overloaded informationally. I would say we're moving out of the information age to the misinformation age, where there's so much out there, you don't know what to believe and what to trust, Um, In fact, right now in American history, it's the highest level of distrust that America has ever had with the media. 
Uh, 60% of Americans that did this survey said they, they don't trust the media uh, to high levels or at all. So we live in a time frame where I think there's probably no more important time for us to anchor down, take a step back as Christians around the world, and specifically in North America, to kind of analyze what truth looks like. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at truth for life. You say, where are we going to go for that? We're going to go to the best book of the Bible that talks about truth, lay down some major foundations that have massive implications for our life, and we're going to go to the Gospel of John. You say, why John? Well, listen. The Gospel of John contains more than 50% of the word truth in that one gospel alone. In other words, John has the corner on truth. He really knows what it means to have truth. And he's going to talk about his best friend, his Lord, and his Savior, Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. John knows that. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. This is why we're starting in this uh, Gospel. By the time I finish, I will have preached dozens and dozens of sermons, written hundreds of small group questions, I will have uh, written hundreds of pages, thousands of words, blogs, and devotionals, all aimed at helping you, helping you discover and grow in truth for life. So I want to be able to clarify a few things. Over the next three years, I'm going to be teaching all about Jesus. Uh, I'm going to help you to discover this truth for life and we're going to look at the Gospel of John. You say to me, perhaps if you're new, what is the Gospel of John? It is the good news of Jesus according to a key eyewitness by the name of John. Uh, John is one of uh, Jesus' closest, nearest, and dearest friends. He was part of the inner circle. You got Peter, James, Anne. Help me out. Okay. He was one of the closest to Jesus. John, at the time of this writing in the first century, he's an old man. Um, John produces, uh, perhaps for us, uh, uh, 93% of John's material is unique. It is perhaps one of the most captivating, the most powerful glimpses of understanding who Jesus is and what he's all about. This doesn't mean just because John is 93% unique uh, in difference to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the synoptic gospels, it doesn't mean that his gospel contradicts the other gospels. Rather, it means that since 93% of his material is unique, it means that it complements. And you would see if you studied all four of those gospels, there's an incredible harmony in them. And so uh, John is, I think it's just an interesting, cool thing to think about too. At the prime of his productivity of writing the New Testament, he's between 40 and 60 years old. I find that very unique and very cool, too, that if you study the most successful uh, individuals of the world, their highest level of productivity is between 40 and 60. Because they figure out, okay, here's where things need to change in my life. If I'm going to make a difference, I'm going to start navigating now. So if you, those of you that are older than 60, don't worry, you didn't miss the boat. You can still do some really cool things. Uh, that's speaking on a natural uh, position, but supernaturally, God can do anything um, amazing and miraculous despite how old you are or young you are. Let me tell you more about John. John is the younger brother of James. How many of you are a younger brother? Raise your hand. Guys. Yeah. 
You ever get picked on? You ever have a fight with your brother? I mean, I remember the day I knocked my older brother out on the pool table. I was so proud. We got into a fight and I hit him and he hit the pool table and I just started screaming, yes, yes. My little brother's like, oh my goodness, Ryan knocked Rob out. It was, it was amazing, okay? When you get picked on as bad as I did, it's a beautiful moment. It was justified. My mom came down there crying and my dad came down there and goes, good job, son. He deserved it. So John is the little brother. His older brother is James. They're both small business owners. They run a commercial fishing company. They meet Jesus, and Jesus says, leave your nets, follow me. They do. They join 10 other guys, and they change the entire world. Christianity today is the largest religion in the entire world because they put their faith in this person named Jesus and revolutionized the entire world. And so John is an old man at this time. He's actually outlived every other disciple. He is super tough, but you need to know his backstory. Number one, you need to know about John, is this man had a temper. He was seriously a loaded gun. He, he was a hothead, very short fuse. Uh, so bad, him and his brother, I'm sure they were brawlers, they were nicknamed Sons of Thunder. That'd be kind of cool, though, wouldn't it? If, like, you and your brother were sons of thunder, like, where's lightning, you know? But sons of thunder, they were nicknamed sons of thunder. And, and, it, and so they had this, uh, on one display in, in Luke's gospel, they record that literally they were upset when Jesus was doing ministry. I mean, they're arranging big crowds, bigger than Billy Graham stuff, and Luis Palau, and all these Greg Laurie's, and all. They're arranging these massive outreaches, and uh, the Samaritans didn't want to provide lodging for the disciples. So literally they say, why don't we call down some fire on them, Jesus? Let's burn them up. He's like, whoa, easy, amigo. Time out. No, 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 no. We're not going to burn these people up. Literally, they had a hot-headed temper in the beginning of their ministry. Uh, secondly, you need to know John was ambitious. I don't know if you have ambition or not, but their ambition wasn't necessarily Jesus-centered, others-centered. It was self-centered. Um, in Matthew's gospel, it records that literally they wanted to jockey in position for privilege, power, and influence, and promotion in the kingdom. They were waiting on Jesus to set up a, a serious kingdom, and they wanted to be kind of like the executive team. Sounds a lot like corporate America today in every job that we work in. We all want some kind of power, position, influence, and what. John, John was incredibly ambitious. There's nothing wrong with ambition until you let go of humility. When you let go of humility, it becomes arrogance and overconfidence. And that's exactly what happened with these guys early in their time with Jesus. They literally start talking about it so much, mom overhears it, and mom, trying to make a sly move, goes to Jesus and basically says, you think my boys could have a position with you in the new kingdom? She's like, Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. Whoever wants to be first needs to be last. But see, what's really cool about John is we can relate to him. You guys are a bunch of pioneers. You're a bunch of entrepreneurs. You're go-getters. You go out there and you want to achieve things in life. Good. Good for you. Do it. All in the name of Jesus with a significant level of humility and love for other people. That's just so important. John was not only ambitious, he was competitive. 
In fact, in his gospel, he kind of hides his name, but it records in John chapter 20 is that once Jesus was crucified, buried, and in the tomb, there's a foot race that breaks out with Peter and John. And John, what he does is he records this in John chapter 20. He kind of like acts like it's not him. He says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple, a.k.a. John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John wanted to be numero uno, okay? He's not going to let chubby little Peter pass him up. Uh, John was a runner. He was competitive. He would get there first, and he says, the other disciple, and that is John. But John, what was unique about him is that he was humble over time, over time. Uh, and John wrote, I don't know if you know this or not, he wrote obviously the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he wrote Revelation. This man had a, an, a peculiar sense of God's divine revelation for the future. He was a futurist. He could see the future. That's what's captured in the book of Revelation for you and me. Um, and imagine you had the ability literally to speak Bible and write Bible. Like you write Bible. A lot could go to your head. I mean, you could be incredibly arrogant. But what happened with John is over time, he became not more arrogant. He actually became uh, more acknowledging of his great need for Jesus. And his humility began to grow in his life. Outside of uh, Paul and Luke, John wrote more Bible than any other New Testament writer. He was humble. He had tough skin. He was a soft heart. He had skin that was calloused as a fisherman, but he grew tender and spent three years with Jesus, and Jesus changed everything for him. He went from arrogance and haughtiness to deep levels of humility in his life. Three years. Three years, that's what he spent time with. And he provides for us more Christian literature than just about anybody else for us. Uh, One of the most memorable moments about John's humility for me is at the moment when Jesus is crucified on the cross and he's being, he's, 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 he's giving up his last breath, the scripture says, and Jesus looks down at the ground to his mom and to John, and then he tells John, John, you take care of her the rest of, my, rest of her life. And church history tells us, and the scripture tells us that that's exactly what he did. He took care of Mary. John, John also outlived every persecutor that came to try to kill him. John outlived every single disciple that followed with Jesus. John is incredibly tough, but there was a tender side of John. And so, last thing you need to know about John is John was uh, deep and he was wide. Remember the church song, deep, help me out. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You guys didn't go to church when you were younger, that's okay. Um, I barely did, but for whatever reason, every time I went to church once or twice a year as a kid, it's like, it's stuck. I got those songs stuck in my head. So anyway, John was deep and wide. Martin Luther, uh, the 16th century German monk, who was, by the way, the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation, which gives us a lot of our foundational thoughts and ideas for American culture and constitution, FYI, um, 
Martin Luther said this about John's gospel. Listen to this. He says, this is the unique, 93% of John's content is unique, tender, incredibly tender, his message was love, genuine chief gospel, okay? Chief, the most important gospel. And then he said, you know, because he was under persecution, um, Luther uh, connects this and he says, should a tyrant succeed in destroying the holy scriptures and only a single copy of the epistle of, to the Romans and the gospel according to John escape him? Christianity, it's saved. It's good. What does that mean? It means literally the gospel of John is essential for Christianity. You don't have the gospel of John, you don't understand Christianity. You need the gospel of John deeply in your life if you're going to understand what it's all about, the Christian life. I remember studying down at Dallas Seminary. My favorite course was the life of Jesus Christ. I studied under a man by the name of Dr. Pentecost. If you have a name like Dr. Pentecost, you deserve students because that's just a wild name. And so anyway, he was an incredible man. Um, and he took me to deep, deep levels of understanding. I figured out that as a Christian, the more I studied, the more I realized I didn't know. That's what was my, amazing, and how big and great God was the more I studied the Scriptures. And that's why I decided I'm going to give my whole life to helping other people understand and respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So by wide, what do I mean? I said he's deep and he's wide. I mean that he sought to capture the hearts of mankind, to see a great multitude of guilty sinners surrender their lives to Jesus and live for Jesus all the days of their life. No other gospel writer says, let me give you the thesis statement. Let me give you the purpose statement of my writing. Look what he says in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written to, these things are written so that you may help me out believe that Jesus is the Christ, that means he's the Messiah, is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Believe, by the way, is mentioned like 98 times in John's gospel. Very, very important for us to understand the big idea. John is deep, but he's also wide. You and I probably know John 3.16. Let's try to say that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, that whoever, yeah, you got it, you got it. Okay, good. So in fact, to, during the 2009 College Football National Championship, University of Florida quarterback, help me out, Tim, he painted John 3.16 on, on, under his eyes, and as a result, 94 million people Googled that Bible verse within a matter of minutes. We live in the information age. Unfortunately, it's the misinformation age today. I want you to do far more than Google a few things about what I say about Jesus. He's worth you exploring. He's worth you discovering greater levels of truth for everyday life. Here's what St. Augustine said. By the way, uh, St. Augustine was a fourth century African theologian and philosopher. He said this, John's gospel is so deep. It's deep enough for an elephant to swim in and just shallow enough for a child not to to drown. That's pretty amazing. It's deep, but it's also shallow. John 3, 16. So why should you listen to me for like three years on this message? I'd say I'm going to talk to three different groups of people here at the church. Number one, the crowd. 
The crowd for us is anybody and everybody that comes here and sits down and listens to me. Comes through our North Valley Kids programs, comes through our youth. That's the crowd. Crowd to me and crowd to our staff, these are the folks that say, uh, I'm not a Christian. I could be a Christian. Uh, we don't know. Uh, the crowd is also folks that are part of the church, but the crowd, when, we, when I speak on Sunday, I'm hoping and praying that we're reaching out. We see Muslims, Mormons, uh, Jehovah's Witness, um, uh, gay, straight, transgender, whoever in anybody that would hear about who Jesus is. And we will always create an environment where everybody is welcome to hear about who Jesus is, what the Bible has to say, because we believe there is a truth for life. And Jesus is that truth. And we as a church need to be messengers of that truth. So to the crowd, meaning you could be a believer, you might not be, you might be seeking Jesus, you don't know. Some of you are very committed in your faith. This is for you. I want to challenge you, take a look into the historical Jesus because this is the eyewitness. This is the best eyewitness you're going to possibly get is John about Jesus and his life. You determine if you can believe and receive Jesus as Lord. You determine if this is what you need to grow in your spiritual journey. And everybody wants to be spiritual, just not a, a ton of people want to be Jesus. Jesus followers. So the crowd, I'm challenging you, would you explore Jesus with me? Many who decide to do this, I believe, will surrender their life to Jesus Christ, will be a part of this church. They will place their faith in Christ. They will go public in baptism over the next few years in great numbers and multitudes because Jesus is life. That's why. And you're going to feel that, see that, know that, and I hope that you get the word out to your friends and to your family. Um, to the congregation, these are members of our church. You get the chance to go deeper. You get the chance to say, I want to live more like Jesus. I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to learn how to live more like Jesus. And you're going to be able to strengthen your biblical theological convictions as essential truths of Christianity. And I would challenge you, you need to go to the next level and grow in what we call the habits of holiness, which is laid out on our growth track so that you can move beyond the congregation and become part of the core. And so to the core, here's what I would challenge you. Those of you who have completed our growth track, you're already tithing, you're serving, this is your chance really to go to the next level. Get actively involved in ministry and missions. Go make a difference in the world for Jesus Christ. This is it. This is a great foundation for you to build on and to move forward. Not only in, in the church, not only in the classroom, in the living room, or in the boardroom, just all around the whole world. This is what you need to do. You will be messengers of Jesus throughout the whole world because I know many of you even do international business. So go, let's go do that. I know some folks are heading out and they're moving to other countries and other nations. Let's, let's, let's go further Let's move faster. You as a core, you need to uh, get involved and get others involved. Mentor the new believers. Reach out to the unbelievers. Be the messenger of Jesus in, in your sphere of influence. That's my challenge to you. Don't become an accidental Pharisee, which I'll speak on in a few weeks, where we become the holy huddle and close the doors for the unchurched. So here's what I want us all to do. I want all of you uh, to consider going with me for three years. Let's start and finish this book, the Gospel of John, and let's live under it. 
and let it direct us and guide us because truth is like a compass. It tells us and shows us where to go and how to live. And so give three years of your life to studying the gospel of John. What an invitation. If I were you and I was a new believer, I would sign up and say, I'm doing that. That's free, better, better than free seminary education because the professors, by the way, they're hard to follow sometimes, especially guys with the name of Pentecost. You know, at least my name's normal, semi-normal. So I want to challenge you to do that. I want to, you can pick up a scripture journal. You can write in this. It's, it's the Gospel of John literature. You've got, we've got it right back there. If you want to take two, give a donation at any amount to help us get more resources to more people. But this is your chance to study. This is your chance to go deeper. This is your chance to go wider. So if three years changed the Apostle John's life, three years changed this man from a calloused heart to a humble heart, where he literally was known by his hatred, son of thunder, to now he's known as the apostle of love. Could it change your life in three years? Let's do that. That's what I want to do. I believe that this church is at a pivotal moment. I've told you before, we're moving out of the startup into the buildup, and we need people to grasp and to gain an understanding of who Jesus is and how to make them known, not just in the ministries or in the, in the missions that we provide, but throughout the whole world through your sphere of influence, your friends, your workplace, your, your avenues of, of witnessing and sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ. Give me three years and I think we can change a lot of this North Valley. Not because I ted, said something uh, wonderfully uh, creative, but because we just went through the scriptures very plainly and the truth transformed your life. So since today we're doing the introduction, the Gospel of John, I'm just going to cover a few verses but I think they're essential truths of Christianity and their life-changing implications. So let me pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Your church will always excel and grow and expand because the name of Jesus is so powerful. And so we thank you that you're king, that you're creator. And we, Lord, we ask for your help now as we read this passage of scripture. And I pray that wherever the work of the Holy Spirit's working, that we'd start to take initiative into those areas so that we might expand your goodness and your grace into all areas. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's all we're going to talk about today. He, in the beginning is totally reminds me of Genesis, doesn't it not? And like, that's Genesis talk. If you're new to the Bible, that's the first page of your book of the Bible. Open it up, and it says the same kind of thing, in the beginning. Why does he do that? I think it's because John wants to start with a strong theological foundational thought that Jesus, listen to me, clearly existed from the very, very beginning. Even before the whole world was created, there was Jesus. That's the name of this message. There was Jesus. So the other gospel writers don't start like that. I mean, you need to know that Jesus' life didn't start at the virgin birth. No, no, no. Jesus didn't start at the virgin birth. No, Jesus was there before the world was ever made. Now, let me talk to you about the word. The word is mentioned three times in this passage, and it, the Greek word is logos or logos, however you want to pronounce it, and it signals to two different groups. One is the irreligious people, the Greeks, and two is the Jews, the religious people. In both parties readers, audience, folks that would be reading this actually understood what that word meant. The word actually meant 
the logos is the total revelation, the ultimate revelation of God. And what John is saying is Jesus is God. He is the ultimate revelation. There is no one other like him. And what's interesting about this section is that John's gospel is loaded with deep level theological truth, propositional truth. Everything to John is like light, darkness, life, death. Like he's hardcore like that. Like it's black and white. That's how John sees things. So you're going to see in the rest of the gospel though, which is really cool because I, I can connect with it and hopefully teach you guys even better, is that the rest of the gospel of John is actually story and literature. It's a narrative. So we're starting the prologue for the next, four, for the next three weeks after this week, all just in the very beginning of the gospel of John. Then it goes all story, all story. I love stories. I think you love stories. So hopefully you do, because that's where we're going to be. There's nothing else I can do about that. But it starts theological, propositional, then it moves into narrative. Um, it serves as a foundation for Christian theology. Luther said it. Uh, many others have said it. It's super critical for the Christian to grasp the gospel of John, know it backwards and forwards. That's why you always hear people say, if you're a new believer, study the gospel of yeah, let's try that again. If you're a new believer, you should study the gospel of? John. There you go. Good. So stay with me. Um, so what, are, what do I mean by foundations? I, I mean that it's critical for your whole life to build on the theology that you're going to find in Jesus-centered theology. And so some people really don't act like foundations are that important. This is why you, perhaps you didn't know this, but our monument sign blew over. Um, the reason why is because the guy that built it didn't care about foundations. He literally built the monument sign years and years ago. It was a massive sign, and it blew over in the storm. He built it with wood and stucco. No concrete, no nothing at the bottom, just wood and stucco. And so wood and stucco, when it gets rained on over and over again, it gets moist, and then it rots, and then and a storm comes. And they called me and said, Pastor Ryan, the whole sign blew over. It's destroyed. I'm like, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. Bad foundation. Some of you Christians are like that monument sign built with wooden stucco. You have a very poor foundation. You don't know Christian Bible or theology because you've been a part of churches that never taught you. Or you never studied. Or you just never really took the time to investigate it. So I want to challenge you to build that foundation. You have the opportunity to do that. So the Christian life should be a strong, uh, strong foundation so that you can stand strong. Three truths about what we're going to read. Number one is that Jesus is God, just plain and simple. There is no other God. Jesus is God. There's no uh, alternate pathways to heaven. There's not a highway to heaven uh, other than through Jesus. There's not a stairway to heaven other than is Jesus. Like Jesus is God. And that's what the Bible clearly communicates. You get a JW, a Jehovah's Witness, to come to your door about the gospel of John, they're going to say, no, the Jesus was a God. He wasn't the God. He was just a God. Well, there's massive problems with that because our Bible doesn't teach us that we have many gods. It teaches that we have one God, follow me now, three persons and all fully being God. That's called the Trinity. And I know that's hard to grasp. It'd be like you going to California and going to those big sequoias and trying to hug it. You're pro it's probably not going to happen. You can't get your arms all the way around that big tree. That is the Trinity for us. Um, 
Let me give you an example of the Trinity. It's kind of like, it's a bad example, but it'll be the best I can do, is an egg that consists of three parts. You have a shell, a yolk, a white. Each part is fully egg, but it has its own identity and distinguishes itself from the other. Or it's like a human family. You got a father, a mother, a child, separate entities, yet each one is fully a member of his or her own family. Each may have a different first name, but they all bear the family name. Uh, Jesus is God. He's not a God. He is God, period. Um, John was trying to echo this and gives perhaps one of the greatest Trinitarian statements in the Bible by saying this. The New Testament, by the way, this is where you want to argue with your JW friends, you say to them, all throughout the scripture, Jesus is affirmed as being fully divine, meaning God. He is God. Um, Colossians 1.19, the apostle Paul thought he was God. He says, in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Matthew 1.23 um, says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then in the angel announces at the birth of Jesus, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, which means Messiah, the Lord. Jesus literally, continually and consistently demonstrated he was God. He stilled the storm with a whisper of his word. Be silent. It was silent. He multiplied loaves and fish. He changed water into wine. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. He conquered death. He rose again. Paul said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole Christian thing is a sham. It's a total sham. Um, Jesus uh, rose from the dead. He sits in heaven with the Father uh, at the right hand. He is king of glory. He will return for his church and rescue and redeem all things. That is our King Jesus. He is God. Um, John said this about Jesus, and there are so many other things that Jesus did. Were, one of them to, uh, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, what John is saying is that so many things happened in Jesus's life and they were able to capture just a snapshot. So number one, if Jesus is God, what does that mean for you and me? I would say it means that you and I need to live with an untamed faith. What do I mean by that? I mean that something in us, I think, uh, needs to be undomesticated. I think that there's a sterile sense of Christianity um, I think if we uh, see how the disciples lived and responded under deep levels of persecution, they were ferocious. They were faith-filled, not fear-filled. There is too much of a fear, a spirit of fear over our country, over our churches. We need to be faith-filled believers that go in and penetrate and share and show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us, regardless if we're named bigots, regardless of what is to happen to us. That is our story. That is our marching orders. We need to live with an untamed faith. And by that, I mean untamed, unsanitized, unfearful, unhindered, uncommon. I think too many believers never go off trail, never venture out with God, never take a huge risk step of trusting faith. They don't know what an adventure with God looks like. And I think they're kind of like, uh, too many Christians are like tame tigers, they just literally need to be set free. I would love to have that job. Take a tiger that served its time at the zoo and say, go run in wherever, Africa or Zimbabwe, whatever. Like, let the tiger loose. That is what so many Christians have become, tamed tigers. And you know and I know that taming a tiger, a lion, or a bear is probably not a good idea, right? And then you see them, they pet them, they're nice. And all of a sudden, 
on talk shows and you're like, oh, sorry. And then the monkeys are even bad. They'll bite you. They look like nice, but no, they're going to bite you. Why is that? Because they're wild. I think there's something wild and untamed in the heart of the believer, but it's been overly domesticated, overly tamed and told not to push the envelope. I'm telling you that I think we are in a time where it needs to go far more untamed. All the disciples died a martyr's death because they were faith-filled, not fear-filled. Um, I see too many Christians are like off-road trucks that really never get the opportunity to go off-road. They just, they look great. They're awesome. But then you ask them, well, I've never really taken it off-road. I'm like, that is a pavement princess is what that is. <laughs> it looks beautiful and it just cruises along, doesn't have any mud on it. The gears have never been tested. The engine's never been revved. No, you were designed to explore. You were designed to discover. You were designed to move forward. And so if Jesus really is God, we ought to live with an untamed faith. Number two, Jesus is creator. He's king. He's creator. By the way, Jesus was a carpenter. He liked to create things. That's really cool to me to understand that. Um, John said it like this, all things were made through him, meaning didn't, not one thing was made in the world that you see without Jesus saying, let, it be, let there be light. That was Jesus. That wasn't God the Father. That was Jesus. Jesus is creator. John says in verse 3, all things, meaning you, me, everything we see, were made through him, Jesus. And without him, that is Jesus, was not anything made that was made. So... Paul said it like this, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones and dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him, for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think that's pretty amazing to me. I think, rethink that. I, I didn't think about that near as much as I have this week about how Jesus is literally creator of everything. So you say, so what? Well, so what? If Jesus is creator, here's my encouragement to you. Why don't you and I, why don't we explore what he's working on and go invest our time, talent, and treasure there? If he's, if he's the craftsman, why don't we do that? Why don't we spend time, if we see him working in the church in a certain area, let's go amp up and go get to work over there. If we see God's working in a certain way uh, in our workplace, why don't we get involved with that? I believe that the Trinity is involved in your spiritual sanctification. And I think it is the Holy Spirit that helps you with ideas in your mind. And then the Holy Spirit's like trying to tell you like, hey, I want you to go do this. And then Jesus is like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to work on. I want to work on that with you in your workplace so that you can have a greater influence and make a greater good for the good of others and the glory of God. I think that's what's happening here. And so if Jesus really is creator he was a carpenter. He's been working on things for a very long time. He is a craftsman. And this is how the apostle Paul said it. For you and I, we are his workmanship created, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That means before anything ever happened, he created you with a purpose beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, I think there's so many pathways that you and I are supposed to walk, but we don't walk because we're not in tune that he is creator. And then when we find out that there's something really good happening, we don't invest the time into it. 
So every dream, every desire that you have, you should pay attention to that and say, is that what you want me to do? The greatest movements and transformations of the world happen in the thought of the mind. You and I need to realize that God is trying to work in through your mind, your heart, your soul, every part of your being. If he is creator, why don't we watch what he's working on and start investing our time there? If it's like if I hired a craftsman to come work on my house to build me something beautiful, but then I tell him, I want to be so proud of this. I want you to work on it, pour your heart and soul, put your signature on it. But then he says, how big is the budget? I say, I got a shoestring budget. Then he would say to me, you don't care about this. My response to you is if, if you really believe Jesus is creator, then why don't you watch what he works on and why don't you go invest your time, talent, and treasure there? That's powerful. I want to get behind whatever God's working on in me. Some of you, the future you, you're afraid to go explore that. Because you're afraid, perhaps, of the criticism that you may face far more than the approval and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. What if people begin to coach you away from what God's destiny, purpose, and plan is for your life? He is creator. He's designed you. And the Bible says, for good works. I think you and I have a lot of good works, and I hope that you and I can walk in them with Great levels of faith and courage. Number three, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He always is, always was. He existed in the beginning, not because he had a beginning as a creature. Um, there are a number of different cult groups that say Jesus' divinity began at, uh, throughout his life and he attained to it. And some look at the baptism of Jesus Christ and say, oh, when the Spirit of God came down, that's when he stepped into his divinity. No, Jesus always existed. Jesus was always eternal. His life didn't begin in the manger of Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. He always existed. He set the stars into their place, including the one that the wise men followed to the manger. Imagine that, baby Jesus. Mm-hmm, y'all follow that? Y'all follow? I made that. I made that. Uh, Jesus created that star. Jesus eternally existed. Jesus spoke and it came into being. That's what the logos means. Jesus said, let there be light. There was light. Jesus is a creator. He's a craftsman. I wonder what kind of masterpiece he's trying to make you into. And don't miss that. I wonder what kind of masterpiece he's trying to make out of your life. What kind of storyline do you want out of your life? How do you want it to end? What do you want people to say about you? I know Jesus knows what he wants to say about you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Step into that. Jesus is eternal. One commentator said, um, in essence, that we find everything that we need to know about Jesus, our past, our present, and our future in looking to Jesus. He is eternal. This is why Jesus said, "Alpha, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. Or when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that would have rocked the Jewish culture of the day. He was saying, I've always existed. I've always been here. So if Jesus is eternal, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to thank him. Every single day. Just thank him that you've never been alone. 
One of my favorite new genres of music is called Faith Country. And it's really cool to see um, one country music singer, which by the way, I would never bring to you uh, country music lyrics that I didn't think were theologically sound, but this guy actually did a good job. Most country music is terrible country, uh, terrible, terrible theology, but this is actually a really good one. Uh, it's Zach Williams. It, the song's called There Was Jesus, and he said in an interview about the song, he says, looking back at the 20 years of my life, I had no idea that God was in the moment, that he was even with me through the hardest things I've ever gone through in my life. He writes this, in the waiting and the searching, in the healing and the hurting, it was like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every mo- moment, every minute, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or I couldn't see it, there was Jesus. On the mountain, in the valleys, there was Jesus. In the shadows of the alleys, there was Jesus. In the fire and the flood, there was Jesus. Always is and always was. I'm like, hold it right there. Zach, you did a really good job on theology. You did great. You study your Bible. Good for you. No, I will never walk alone. Never walk alone. You are always there. I don't know what you've gone through. Maybe you've gone through a divorce, a disaster, some kind of deep destruction in your life. You need to know Jesus has always been there. He's always been there. So in light of that truth, I want to encourage you to make it a habit to giving thanks to God always for always being there in your life. This is just practical wisdom. In 2020, there was a study that showed that regularly practicing gratitude can help ease the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And by the way, if you're a deeply anxious person, it's because you're probably worried about your future. If you're depressed, you're likely struggling with your past. And what Jesus says is, You can still give me thanks for your past. You can still give me thanks for the present. You can still give me thanks for your future because I'm with you. So with a new heart and a great new ambition, would you say something like this every day? Thank thank you, Jesus. Thank Jesus for being there in your past. Everything that's been messed up in your life. Still give him thanks that he was there. For me, there was a car crash. I could have died. He saved me. He chose to preserve my life. For me, there were so many different things. I watched all my friends OD, mess up. He preserved my life. I thank him for that. For you, it could have been some disaster, some complicated situation, painful work experience, uh, family experience. Thank him that he was there in your past. Thank Jesus for being there with you in the present right now. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, and I will always be with you to the end of the age. Jesus is present. Thank Jesus for being there in your future. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Thank him for being there in your future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I do pray that, I pray that I would never, I wouldn't look back on a couple decades and say I wished that they got it more. I pray that they will, and I pray I will more and more. And I pray that we will. We got eternity with you, Lord, but you've put us here now, and so we ask for your help to get it. Thank you for the powerful truths of Scripture. Whether we're believer or unbeliever, it works because all truth is yours. So I pray that we turn to you and go with greater levels of confidence and courage into the areas that you've placed us. 
And we pray for your help and your assistance in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.